The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla, Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Futures are solid despite this notable drag from Boeing this morning as investors continue to digest China Phase 1, USMCA, Brexit, and now some flash PMIs that mostly disappoint. UK and France up more than a percent. Ten-year 185 Empire was in line. Our roadmap this morning begins with Boeing under pressure. Shares are down nearly 4% ahead of the bell as the company reportedly debates cutting or halting max production. Plus, IFF is merging with DuPont's Biosciences and Nutrition Unit. It's a deal that will create a new consumer giant valued at more than $45 billion. IFF CEO and DuPont's executive chairman will be joining us to discuss the deal in just a few minutes. And record rally. The S&P and Nasdaq set to open at some new highs as investors continue to digest China trade news. Let's start with Boeing, though. As we said, moving lower in the pre-market, the journal is among those reporting that the company is considering suspending or cutting production of the 737 MAX. In response to the story, Boeing did issue a statement to CNBC saying it would continue to assess production decisions based on the timing and conditions of a return to service for the MAX. And as we know, guys, FAA last week threw some cold water on that return happening before year-end. Right, and I think that this is something that some people say it's a foregone conclusion. And that the reason why you didn't see this before was that the way that accounting works, something I think a great CFO would understand, and that you have a great CFO there, uh, that you, you had to state that things would be fine until they're not fine. You literally just cannot make a conjecture against your own company's view. So this is a more realistic view. I believe that the cash flow will be enough to be able to sustain a dividend. Cash flow will be enough to be able to make it so the company has, uh, can work through this. But I also believe that the stock has been too high. Well, that sentence just uh, could scare some people. You believe the cash flow will be enough to sustain the dividends. You're having that kind of a conversation about the ability to sustain the dividend. That's scary right there, isn't it? Well, I don't think so. i got to be real. I have to be realistic. This is a very important issue. My point is, though, even having that as a consideration is enough to scare investors. If if I take the dividend off the table, if I literally just say, you know what, don't worry about the dividend, Mm -hmm. and this dividend gets cut, I really think I'm being irresponsible. They're not being irresponsible. They're, they're standing by. Don't worry about it. Do we know what the cash flow uh, reductions could be here? Until we do, it's questionable. I'm saying that once they figure it out, I have faith. I also have faith. There are people who believe that this thing will never come out of it. I think that's completely untrue. There is just a tremendous dirt. There's two plane companies. These guys will get out of it. Uh, I just, and by the way, remember, Southwest Air made a deal last week that surprised me in terms of how little they were really owed. So that's one of the reasons, David, I I know that may have come across as being, uh, let's say, harsh. Not reckless, but harsh. But what I feel confident about is that the cash flow is good enough. And I think that we all have to think about, well, wait a second. If it's a total shutdown, does this company not have the cash flow to pay for the dividend? I'm saying that I think they do. 
So I totally understand the way you put it, and I, I did not by any means try to ascribe a, hey, and those of you who are worried, I'm just saying, hey, listen, no, I feel no. better. And I understand that. My point is, though, that when you get to this, we talk so often about the fact that the stock price is not really, this has been the worst year, let's call it full 12 months almost at this and point. And it was hard. You can remember, and yet the stock price, we pointed out many times, was still up. Right, well, that's where I'm, so I'm maybe saying. it was not properly reflecting the risk that seems to be growing. There you go. I think that the stock's wrong, but the cash flow could be intact. And that's why I'm not saying the stock goes to 250. I think the stock should be down for the year. I've got, I've got companies that are really doing extraordinarily well whose stocks are not doing nearly as strong sure. as Boeing. Well, we're, as you can see, we're hanging on to 1.7 for the year. We'll see if it stays positive. The other implication for production scheduling is the impact on the 600 or so suppliers and then the hundreds of smaller subcontractors that feed into Boeing's chain. Look, I, I, I have such straight conviction in GE and Larry Cole. But Larry, he's, I hate to make this sound, he's into Boeing for a lot of money. Uh, Honeywell less. Uh, there are companies, United Technologies, yes. But if let's say Greg Hayes were here right now, which I wish he were because he's just the most straight shooting of all CEOs. I think Greg would say, listen, this is going to this going to make us have to change our we may have to cut numbers uh, or delay numbers, take the numbers to the back half. Uh, meanwhile, United Technologies very wisely merging with Raytheon kind of. I think that's a great deal. But, yeah, I think those are two, two companies. That, you know, I'm not talking about spirit. I mean, you could, you know, Transdime. I mean, those are. Those will be heard. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think we have to revisit the earnings per share for United Technologies and for GE. Uh, and these are companies that have been uh, great suppliers to Boeing. Well, it's remarkable that uh, we're seeing the overall market action that we're seeing with Boeing's drag. We know what a huge influence it is right. of the indices because of the price weight. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the clarity we've gotten over the past week, Jim. Uh, Fed meeting, ECB, right. Brexit, USMCA, and phase one. Boy, people are excited about Europe all of a sudden. Isn't it amazing? Any sort of certainty, even though the man who's going to run the UK is not necessarily pro-Europe. At least we get some certainty. People want certainty. I worked all weekend on this trade agreement, which put other than there was a four-hour win, four window when the Eagles uh, beat the Skins. Congrats. By the way, that was nice. Again. Thank you. Very nice. Dallas showed up, which bothered me tremendously. I know that we have Ed Breen going to be on soon. I know he's going to be high as a kite over the Eagle win, but we're going to have to bring him down because next week we play Dallas. Yeah, I think you guys are in for it if they keep up the performance they had against the Rams. But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, no. it's true. And I don't want to give us a sidetrack at all. The deal may be real. And the deal may be real because of backyard hog production. 60% of the hogs in China arguably dead. Uh, the rest are the most. There's some Chinese-owned farms where the hogs have not been killed because it's so hard to keep. Remember, this is an airborne virus, Asian flu. They have a, fro- a group of frozen hogs just in case, you know, frozen pork, just in case it got to that. When that frozen pork runs out, boom. So there's going to be a lot of demand for, for pork, for U.S. Yes. Do you know that if you, do you know that if you, that pork right now, our farms, our big hog farms, are national security protected? You can't go to a hog farm. They'll never let you in. All right. No, this is important. We've got them. They don't. They're coming to the table, believe me. And it's all about pork. 
That's for sure. We, when when prices over there are doubled in a year, uh, yeah. we know why. Watch out for beef and chicken inflation for 2020 in the United States. Uh, interesting. Uh, we're going to hear more about what Lighthizer said about the deal over the weekend. Uh, as Jim mentioned in a moment, uh, a new consumer giant, IFF, merging with DuPont's Nutrition and Biosciences Unit. We'll talk to DuPont's executive chairman and IFF's chairman and CEO. As we said, futures look pretty good, coming off a record close for the S&P and the NAS. With two weeks left in the year, still on track for the best annual gain since 2013. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. IFF and DuPont announcing a very large deal over the weekend for the Flavors and Fragrances Company. It will merge with DuPont's nutrition and biosciences business. Now, the deal value, values DuPont's business at about $26.2 billion. The combined company will have pro forma 2019 revenue of more than $11 billion, about $2.6 billion uh, in EBITDA. Here with us at Post 9, IFF Chairman and CEO Andreas Vivek and DuPont's Executive Chairman, Ed Breen. Gentlemen, thanks to you both. Thank you for being with us. And you're coming right off the conference call uh, that you just held. And Ed, let me start with you, because on that call, you said uh, IFF is the best partner in every respect. You obviously indicated there was a process in which you uh, evaluated a number of potential outcomes for this business. Why was this the best one for your shareholders? Well, we we made the decision based on um, strategic fit and culture. Um, this creates the global leader across all the ingredient spaces. It's the broadest portfolio by far, and we'll have double the R&D of any other company um, in the industry. Um, so strategically, we love this. Um, we can really offer our customers full set solutions that nobody else, any competitor, can do. Uh, the interesting thing was it was a competitive process. There were three people that wanted to uh, merge with the company, um, and all three of the prices were sitting right on top of each other. So thank heavens we didn't have to scratch our head and say, should we take the other one because the price was better. So we got the price we wanted, great strategic fit, and then we thought the cultures of the companies really gelled well. And that's important when you're integrating two large companies together because right. that's a, a lot of what makes it work. So all right around that 18 times uh, current EBITDA, I guess, in terms of valuation metrics that Correct. you're looking at. Mr. Fibig, uh, you know, the Fruteron deal is not that far in the past, and it pains shareholders in part because of some things you found there. What confidence can you give them that you're ready to do another large deal and another very large integration? So what, what, we, what we would say is that, uh, first of all, we have another 12 to 13 months until we close the deal, and the teams are already planning on the integration. It's a very robust plan. We have... Uh, our experience uh, from our last big integration, and also the NMB team is very experienced here. So I think everything will go very, very well over the next 12 months so that we are really ready at, at, at day one. And we certainly took our key lessons out of the Fruiter Room deal and we'll do it better this time. So what were the key lessons then? One of the key lessons is that everything which is cost-related was going extremely well. We are over-delivering on the cost synergies, whether it's procurement or footprint or overhead costs. 
we certainly have to watch the one times and the sales that we bring the teams good together that we make sure that we're not losing out on this one. And here it's very clear that both teams for the next 12 months have to perform on their base and their core business and that we made this very clear. And, and I think it's, it's good that the, comp- that the two teams have talked already and we're very confident that we will get, go into the next year with a good uh, tailwind. Uh, Andreas, good to see you. Good to see you both. Uh, will you need to do an, an equity offering after the deal is done, uh, or will the free cash flow enable IFF to reduce its debt? Yeah. You will have to do an equity offering, without a doubt. Okay. Well, that's important because the stock's down six. I don't want, you've always been quite candid when, when you were on Med Money, and you said, look, for fruit or rum, looks like we might have to, and people yeah. should be ready. Thank you. That's great. And now, Ed, I'm trying to look at the rest of the company. To me, uh, there's some green shoots that I see. We're starting to talk about 5G. I know that that's been very important uh, to the electronics. What's your next move? Me personally? No, the company. <laughs> I know you're personally. I know you and I are both in the in business and you're filling I'm not talking about your next move. I'm talking about your move here. Well, well, first of all, I'm staying at DuPont as executive okay. chair, and I'm really excited about it. But, uh, you know, look, we're, we're actively going looking at the portfolio still, and we'll continue to manage that. And it's the best owner mentality for us in the company, as we just demonstrated um, with this uh, a great merger today. Uh, but we look, we have a great portfolio with the three core divisions that we have now. We have a lot of secular growth areas we really love. You mentioned one of them is 5G. We're big at lightweighting cars. We're big at electrifying cars as they go towards EV. I mean, these are big markets for us as we uh, move forward. Um, so we got great growth prospects. I wouldn't doubt we do some tuck-in acquisitions okay. along the way to fit. We're going to have a great uh, profile from a cash position and a balance sheet position. So we're really going to be in solid shape here moving forward. Andreas, Ed mentions R&D. Uh, it seems like we talk about proteins and flavors all the time, but where is R&D focused right now? Where will it be focused? Look, what you see is, is total solutions. We have now a nice play around different categories. And R&D was actually one of the reasons why we said this deal makes a lot of sense from a strategic point of view. We will be leaders in many of these categories, whether it's uh, soy, uh, plant-based proteins, whether it's texturizers or it, it is flavors. So we will focus our, our R&D to bring these programs basically to fruition and then look how we can combine these categories for total solutions. Let me give you an example. If you look at plant-based burger, which is very popular right now, uh, IFF is, is delivering the natural color, the flavors, and now we have the plant-based protein, the texturizers. We basically can provide the total solution, and that could go on and on and on. We have more examples here, and that's something which really differentiates us from any other competitor. And as Ed just said, what we did with this move is not replicable by any competitor with one move. They would need more moves to basically rebuild what we have in our hands. Can well, I, I, I want to follow up on the cost synergies and revenue synergies. I think you guys are talking about cost synergies of 300 million bucks, but yep. revenue synergies eventually of 400 million. Yes. It's not often we see revenue synergies exceed cost synergies. Can well, you explain where that's coming from? So the beauty of this deal, it's more of the revenue opportunity going forward because they're complementary. They're not overlapping portfolios. So the plant-based burger example Andreas just gave, DuPont supplies five ingredients into either the bun, the cheese, or the burger. IFF supplies five different ingredients into that product. 
So the power of getting a full solution together, as Andrea said, is going to be really powerful, by the way, for our big customers and our regional local food companies, which are growing very rapidly. They don't have that solution capability, so we'll be able to supply it to them. So the revenue synergies are actually really big on this deal. But because the products don't overlap as much, you don't get quite as much on the cost side, but still 300 is a nice number to get on a business with this type of multiple on it. Now, Ed, uh, delivering those revenue synergies is going to be dependent on this management team. Your shareholder base is going to own 55% of this company, and you're getting $7.3 billion in cash as well. Why is this the right management team for DuPont shareholders to believe in as this business changes hands in terms well, of management? Well, first of all, the cultures are the same with the focus on R&D, the customer solution set. That's where we were driving. That's where they're driving. And so I think just culturally it fits. But you have to remember, NMB is bringing a really solid and seasoned management team with a lot of depth here. And our NMB team, along with all of DuPont with Dow, has been through massive integrations the last four years. So we've put a lot into NMB, and you never watched anything go wrong. It was very smooth. Our team knows how to do it. So we'll get the best of our playbook, the best of theirs. We have, as Andrea said, we have 12 to 13 months to plan this, and we'll have it all laid out and documented about how we're going to proceed. So I'm highly confident, and I certainly know we picked the best partner strategically. Okay, so Andreas, should I feel more confident because I love that fruit or rum deal initially, and then you know... In your uh, 10K from uh, 226.19, you wrote, due to the nature of the transaction and the characteristics of Fruitorum, our ability to conduct extensive due diligence was limited, and we may subsequently identify additional obligations, including those that Fruitorum assumed in the prior acquisitions. You feel much more confident in this case. Did you have enough time to do the due diligence, or was this a quick too quick? Absolutely, and uh, what makes a big difference is that we are talking here to a U.S. company, very clear, it's the easiness of doing the deal, and we had multiple interaction with the DuPont NMB uh, management team, and I would like to reiterate what uh, Ed just said, the culture is so similar that there's a real nice click between the teams, and we will start great from day one onwards. Okay, and Ed, uh, ten, uh, three point, you got $7.3 billion coming uh, in cash, tax leakage that go right to you, what will happen with it? Well, by the way, the beauty of this deal, because it's a reverse Morris Trust, it's totally tax efficient to our shareholders, which is great. Um, The $7.3 billion, remember, we have to delever the company because it's less EBITDA, and we'll spend about $5 billion doing that, but we'll still have over $2 billion of excess cash. And quick reflections on a macro. We just got done talking about everything that got done last week regarding trade and you think see confidence inflecting quickly as a result? Well, I, it, it feels like it is. I wouldn't say we see it in the end market yet. I haven't seen anything significant change. By the way, it's not getting worse. I don't see significant pickup yet. But I think with the stimulus that hit, and that was happening about a year ago, 10 months ago, 9 months ago, you get the feeling, and that's globally, that's going to kick in and help things out here. And then a little bit of the trade tension dying down. It just builds CEO confidence to go out and spend on capital. And as I talk to so many of the CEOs, I've been around so long doing it, you just feel a little confidence maybe coming back here, and, and they start spending again. Uh, and Ed, finally, uh, the multiple you're getting for this business, people seem happy with, at least judging from the analysts and the call and the, uh, the questions on the call, leaves a multiple on your existing business fairly low. But I'm looking at a five-year chart of DuPont. I mean, from the beginning of the talk of taking it all apart to where we are now, are you still frustrated uh, or are you frustrated with the performance of the stock? Yeah, you know, I'm not because we hit, you know, when we demerged uh, with Dow, we really hit the industrial kind of softness going into last year. 
Um, remember, we took $4 billion out between Dow, Corteva, and DuPont of cost. So as the revenue starts lifting up again, these things are going to print cash. They're just in a way better position they were, and they're pure plays in their industries. Um, I feel very good about it. But just to punctuate your point, the multiple right now, uh, I'm not looking at trading today, so I don't The multiple on remain code DuPont is eight times EBITDA. Our industry, and I'm picking just the average, trades between 12 and 14 times. So there lies a really neat opportunity. Andreas was shaking his head, too. It sounds like he might go out and buy that stock also. <laughs> <laughs> It's cheap. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. Appreciate yes. you joining us gentlemen, on, uh, with the news this morning. Uh, Andres Fibig and uh, Ed Breen, of course, uh, as well on today's big deal, or yesterday's big deal. <laughs> when we come back, Kramer's Mad Dash will count down to the opening bell on this Monday morning. Don't go anywhere. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Futures look good to start the week, uh, despite this drag from Boeing. We'll get to several uh, sell-side calls as well on some chip names, uh, Elf, Pepsi, and more at the opening bell in about five minutes. All right, let's get to uh, Mad Dash before we get you ready for the opening bell two minutes from now. We talked Allergan a bit on Friday yes, when I did. was talking about a potential close as soon as February. They're going to get this divestitures done January feature as well today. Yes, we have Dr. Mitchell Brin. He's the chief scientific officer from Allergan, who's going to ring the opening bell. Now, he is a, a Botox person. David, the great thing about the merger with AbbVie is AbbVie has this gigantic worldwide uh, sales force. A lot of people feel that the Allergan that we know did not have the ability to project sales away from the U.S. and that the market is actually far bigger when it comes to uh, look and feel. In other words, not only just for how you look, but all the other different uses of this drug. Every sweaty palms is a big issue. There are some women's issues that have not been explored fully that I believe that, that AbbVie will explore. So this is the beginning of the new Botox, and don't view it as just something to get rid of wrinkles. There's much more to it. Now, in terms of migraines, which is another use, remember, Allergan brings a CGRP pill an acute pill. So when you have a migraine, you can take it. 
Now, Biohaven. We've got the I, injections now once a month. Nobody likes uh, Well, that is, no, but that's not Allergan. That's No, not, I know. I'm just right. saying in terms of oh, treating yes. them, no. which is a new therapy. Yes, and as a, the a spokesman for the American Migraine Foundation, there's three companies that have that, but people people don't like to take to give shots to themselves. Apparently I myself don't shot. like to do it's it. A pretty ah, if you do it by me, yeah, but if you have a doctor do it, no, uh, I mean, I I'm doing painful. it, I'm jamming, I'm feeling it's the end. Well, it's all right. Don't scare people. But yes, uh, a pill is always a better thing to take than a shot. So there you go. I can administer it better than I can take it. Let's get, now that our medical uh, consultant is over, let's get uh, to the opening bell in the S&P 500. At the big board today, it's pharmaceutical company. Allergan is instead celebrating 30 years of Botox. At the NASDAQ, Clifford, the big red dog, and Scholastic, publisher of children's books and educational media. Um, we'll keep our eye on Boeing. Our Phil LeBeau uh, in the 7 o'clock hour did say, Jim, that he thought a temporary halt to production was more likely than a slowdown in production. Well, the, pro- the problem with the temporary halt is, is that it just seems like the, the, as this thing drags on, uh, Boeing continues to want to try to get ahead of it by saying it's temporary halt. It's just not up to them. And I think that they're meeting right now, the board. And I, I think they have an excellent board of table guys, pretty heavyweight. But it, it's just not in their hands. And there's a presumption all along that well, this is what Boeing decides to do is going to determine this. I think as this, as this drags on, we realize that it's not up to Boeing. And that's what's happening today. Recognition, David, at last, that it's not Boeing's call. It's right. It's not Boeing's call. When, when is this plane really going to get back? Do we have any idea? No. I mean, we don't, right? I think it's going to be, here's a strange one. It won't be back until people forget that it was a problem. But, you know, there are a lot of people, again, I always like to speak, a lot of people feel like that Boeing is so-called finished. I don't know when we won't think about this 737 MAX, but they are here to stay and they will get through this. It's just that the idea of owning their stock, I have been completely mystified. I mean, I remember when the stock was at 250 and I thought it might be expensive, although I believed in it. And the stock has hung up here better than almost any Dow stock, given how numbers have to complete, completely be cut over and over. I'm waiting for big revisions down. Sure. And then you might see where, this, where it's the smoke clears. Uh, every other Dow component, though, is positive. Uh, Dow's being led by Goldman and uh, Cisco and Cat. A lot of calls today, Jim. Um, upgrades from Micron and Western Dig out of Susquehanna, as they see, even though near-term pressures on pricing, Continued recovery in 2020. The Susquehanna is rather an amazing call. This is the Morgan Stanley of Micron, where they go from 48.56. Remember, this company reports uh, this week. There are, until these calls, the perception was that DRAM prices, you know, obviously very, very important, had not stabilized, but NAND had. Uh, that's still the case. It's just that it's just very undervalued, just in terms of where it's been. I completely agree with the lift in the stock. You have to believe that 2020 will be better than 2019. I was listening to uh, a lot of the people on Squawk this morning. I have lots of companies that are that are in the cars to have a much better 20, uh, 2020 to 19. I think this is one of them. Micron has have and will have an amazing opportunity. You heard Ed Breen talk about 5G. Ed Breen, big company, this Dupont, 5G is going to spur an acceleration in earnings. 
And it certainly will for, for Micron, too. What is left at uh, DuPont, of course, after they do this deal, which is right. still a year or so away from closing, right. as they made clear. But the multiple on what is left at DuPont, he said it eight times, very cheap. eight times EBITDA below, certainly what the... Uh, what well, some of it's the an peers. auto and semi. I mean, those have been bad. Shares are benefiting, but IFF shares are down rather well, sharply. The interest and called for... He said we're doing an equity offer. He did. He didn't give a lot of detail. He just well, he didn't really. really answer. He just said yes. Well, uh, that yes is not no. No, I know. I it's just, not maybe. Yes is yes. I want to make sure you heard that. Well, I thought he'd give a little, maybe, did a a little bit more than just. Well, that's yeah. why people are going to short it and try to cover on the equity offer. And they need to do that to fund the seven point three billion dollars. Well, or they what? sure do. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't want to stretch their balance sheet anymore. This is a very conservative company. Remember J.P. Morgan downgraded it, and then they upgraded it on the equity offering? Well, I look like this is kind of, it's kind of like IFF2, the movie. Um, come back to the big deal in a second. I did want to uh, focus on Uber, which is having a nice morning on news that it's going to be, it's looking to divest its Uber Eats business in India. Well, there we perhaps go. Perhaps a sale to a competitor, according to Dow Jones. Uh, at least they say there are talks in progress. Remember, the company has said previously that it would only focus on uh, markets where it could be either number one or two. And certainly, uh, we've talked a lot about how much it's losing. 50% of the losses came from those markets. You know, some yeah. bad market. I think Uber, Somebody estimated it could be half a billion dollars. Yeah, I, look, I th- I've been saying that Uber's a buy ever since they said that. And because the idea of some sort of consolidation in the delivery business among Grubhub... And among DoorDash, it's happening. Uh, DoorDash is becoming so powerful, it's extraordinary. But you're talking about rationality coming back the to... The rationality is yeah. great. If Uber decided to get out of that, there's, they don't need that. It's not really core. I mean, in the same way that Square, which is, I know the stock's been floundering, but Square didn't need caviar. Now, when I, my channel, I want to own Square for my Chapel Trust, but the, we used caviar at both restaurants. And it's been a pretty smooth uh, switch, caviar being square. The consolidation's happening ahead of when everybody thinks, which is why Uber's a buy. It's a buy here, you say. Of course, remember, it did go public at 45. Okay. Did you really ever see that again? Yeah. Not even that day. It might happen. Look, I think, did anyone read the WeWork article in the the Wall Street Journal this weekend? At one point, they said, listen, you got to stop, you got to stop using the marijuana. I mean, it was like kind of an out-of-body article. I, I recommend it to anyone. But I think WeWork may have been the beginning of the end of let's lose a lot of money and, uh, and get a lot of money from right. losing a lot of money. But we've made this point many times, but it's worth repeating, of course. Uber's largest single investor is SoftBank, the Vision Fund. They don't come off very well and at all. They have, they have been a significant investor in a number of the competitors right. to Uber, whether it's Didi, which it competes with in certain markets, right. the Chinese uh, giant in ride-sharing, or DoorDash as well. Right. Uh, in the article, uh, the WeWork article, uh, Massum really is viewed as the man who kind of destroyed the concept of value. It's so critical of him. And there's this last board meeting where Mark Stern, the former Goldman guy, just says, listen, this all has to end. But it was too late. There is a lot of scrutiny of SoftBank these days I will, in the investment world. Yeah. I hear about it. I discuss it with people all the time. Uh, what what is going to happen there, whether Vision Fund 2 could really ever become something right. beyond press release, whether they're going to be successful, and what's going to happen with the, with the first fund. Of course, $45 billion is a, is a preferred they got to pay 7% on. 
Well, maybe if, uh, if global sentiment continues to warm up, that'll be a nice tailwind, Jim. As we approach 3,200 here, 10 points away, I see BAML today reiterates their melt-up uh, thesis. Uh, S&P 3333 by March 3rd, all threes. Wow, um, the melt-up. Yes, Michael Hartnett out of uh, B of A. The uh, melt-up. Are you, are you sort of revising your uh, bull market playbook? Look, I thought this weekend when I go over the trade deal, it really was an important trade deal. I mean, it really, yes, the tariffs will go up in a couple of months if they don't demonstrate good faith. But there was a belief uh, at the meetings that this was different this time and that the Chinese are going to say, you know what, we, we know we got to play ball or the tariffs are going to come right back. It was a very significant weekend that made me feel that a lot of the stocks that were really going to be hurt, and here I'm talking about the apples, I'm talking about the Dollar Trees, I'm talking about the Hasbros, the Mattels, the Costcos. You got to buy them. Yeah. Lighthizer was on Face the Nation over the weekend, uh, said there's no date set for phase two talks yet, but he did call it an incredible deal. Take a listen. We have an enforcement mechanism, but ultimately whether this whole agreement works, it's going to be determined by who's making the decisions in China, not in the United States. If the hardliners are making the decisions, we're going to get one outcome. If the, if the reformers are making the decisions, which is what we hope, then we're going to get another outcome. This is a way, the way to think about this deal is this is a first step in trying to integrate two very different systems. Uh, now there's wow. this theory going around that you know, Davos, uh, our Eunice Yoon, saying a signing there would timing-wise be make some sense. Uh, it, it's certainly possible. Let's really parse what Lighthizer's saying, which is that there's this PLA. The hardliners are the PLA. Uh, the PLA versus the versus she, who's not PLA. And it looks like that maybe the PLA kind of said, you know what, we'll go with it. You could say the same thing, though, about the administration, couldn't you, to a certain Yes, absolutely. In terms of some hardliners and those who are not. He's been one busy man, that lighthouse. Oh, is he ever? Wow. But that uh, so-called Navarro wing. Yeah, what about it? You mean the wing that was supposed to cause a recession, according to the Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Probably very happy with it. Dude. They're happy. Is Ron Vara happy with it, too? You mean the um, alter ego of Peter Navarro? Do you know Alexander Hamlin had an alter ego before you <laughs> did? He really? did. It's the yes. first time anybody's put Navarro and Hamilton in the same sentence. But tell me. Uh, it wasn't an alter ego. It was someone he quoted in his own book. No, remember it was publicist? Oh, remember at the... At John the, Barron? Yeah, what, yeah, well, we went to the White House Correspondent Dinner. And uh, we had a remarkable, uh, was it Cherno, the man who wrote Hamilton, yes, yes. remarkable uh, exposition on that Alexander Hamilton wrote under a different name. And he gave that newspaper that he gave her name to General to uh, President Washington and annoyed President Washington. But it turned out to be written by Hamilton. Well, Ron Vera. Boy, is this a stretch. It is a stretch. <laughs> Holy well, cow, let's just go from this there. uncomfortable subject to another uh, one, <laughs> which is talking about our boss. Oh, um, yeah, fire, frying pan fire, yeah. pal. Uh, but we're going to do it. We did it on Friday as well, of course, when we first told you Steve Burke uh, will be stepping down as the CEO of NBC Universal. What we learned this morning is that he will be stepping down as the CEO January 1. Uh, he will remain or become chairman. Uh, of uh, of uh, NBC Universal uh, after that, but uh, retiring officially after the Olympics in August of 2020. There's the man who's going to replace him, Jeff Schell. 
be the incoming, is the incoming CEO going to take that role again? January 1 of uh, 2020, so we're counting just days from now, really, that uh, Mr. Shell will take over, of course, Mr. Burke. A very long run at both Comcast as the uh, man running NBC Universal uh, and um, presiding over incredible growth during that period of time right. in its many different businesses. And leaving at a crucial time as well. So the launch of Peacock is not as significant, perhaps, as the launch of Disney Plus or even the launch of HBO Max for uh, AT&T, Time Warner. But it is a significant moment. And the integration of Sky, which continues at this point as well. Wow. I was shocked about this. You were? Do you mean the, yeah, the, the suddenness of the... January, yes. Yeah, the January. But then again, I mean, I know Steve Burke from 1998, 99, when he was at Disney. Uh, can I just say that I always think of what my father remembers a great Philadelphia magazine piece about him, which said that in many times he wishes he were really running the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia so he could be doing more... For for what matters. And yeah. he, he, I only mention that as a metaphor for who he really is. No, and uh, we talked about it. He's uh, not your typical cat who runs one of these no, companies. he is not. Forever. Uh, and the fact, announcement. He is not. Uh, the announcement allows uh, Brian Roberts really to mention the legacy he'll leave behind, whether it's invigorating the parks, obviously uh, film franchises, the Olympics deal, which will be sort of the signpost on which he goes out. 2032 is what it goes through. And yeah, it seems, seems the right moment. He did say uh, it's always been his plan to hand off the baton at the right moment and move on to the next chapter of his life where he can pursue a different set of interests. Oh, he People want to speculate interests. he's going to go run another company. No, that's no. not what's happening here. Um, Do you ever get the calendar? going on to the, another the calendar chapter. that he so sends. We all have to think about you know, we sometimes. Get, we get the calendar he sends us about his family. I don't know. I don't know. We get about it. Jeez, it'd be silly. You just remember when my father died. You know, this is a special guy. And, you know, he's a, spe he's a special guy. Well said. Well said. Uh, so we are at 3190. Dow's up 144. Let's get to Bob Bassani, see what's moving. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. Happy Monday. And this is a very powerful advance that we have today. Very broad. All 11 sectors of the S&P 500 are up. Five to one advancing the declining stocks. That's a powerful rally. And when you, this is how you know it's powerful. When you get industrials moving up with consumer discretionary, along with consumer staples and health care, all at the same time, cyclicals and defensive up at the same time, tech leading the way, that is a powerful rally. The big question over the weekend everybody's been debating is do we have any more better visibility for 2020 that's what corporations want and it's debatable but i think that modest it's a modest plus overall look the fed is neutral right now the u.s economy well the chances for a recession are pretty darn low right now in 2020 at least with data we have now labor defeat over for uh, in the brexit deal that was a positive for stocks let's call it a truce for the moment on the trade deal global growth there's a little bit of a difficulty issue there was better numbers in china over the weekend but a clear bottom is a little elusive that's still a little bit of an x factor but if you look at the way the markets are actually voting right now. They're clearly saying that things are getting a little bit better. We have an historic high in the United States, even just today. Europe is sitting at a 52-week high. Look at the ETFs over there. We looked at it last week. Japan is sitting at a 52-week high. Emerging markets, we've had a weak dollar in the last several weeks here, and uh, uh, that weaker dollar has been a real help to currencies over there and the economies uh, in some of these emerging markets countries. So you look here, it's hard to argue that the global markets are terribly uh, uh, worried overall here that there's better visibility. Take a look at some proxies here. Here's uh, high yield, 
excellent proxy for U.S. growth. Uh, you're sitting essentially right near 52-week highs. This is the largest uh, high-yield ETF, HYG is the symbol there. Remember, this is a play on credit. It's not a play on interest rates. There was great concern that corporations were going to have a very ugly 2020. This would not be anywhere near a 52-week high. Let's move on and show you some other things. Uh, metal stocks. Copper has been weak throughout the year. has been concerned over global trade issues. Copper prices have been rising recently. This metal to mining has been moving up here. We talked last week about Freeport McMoran and the strength. This is all based on the belief that metal prices may be bottoming. Who knows if that's happening? But the market is voting for that in the last several weeks very clearly. Semiconductors, well, we, you, no matter what you look at in semiconductors, I like looking at the XSD. This is an equal-weighted index of the big semiconductors. It doesn't matter. If equal-weighted, market-cap-weighted, all of them have been moving up in the last several months. These are global moves up that we even see on the Internet of Things and, of course, semiconductors being in automobiles, but also some trade optimism as well. Finally, just want to note uh, industrial stocks overall. You want to look at a broad group like the S&P industrials here, Caterpillar near new highs, Dover, some of the deeper cyclicals as well, also voting here, sitting right near 52-week highs. And the final key point here is just interest rates slowly moving up a little bit, yield curves steepening as well. There's your final confirmation here, KBE, bank index, this is the big banks, essentially, also 52-week highs. You put this all together, you could be a little cynical and say, all right, I'm agnostic about whether the market's going to move forward, but it's really hard to argue that visibility is worse now than it was a week or two weeks ago. I think a fair assessment is visibility is a bit better, even if you can say, okay, we haven't resolved the trade issues. Maybe they're just on hiatus. Maybe that's the right way to look at it. But certainly it's fair to argue visibility is a little better than it was a couple of weeks ago. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani. Let's get to the bond pits as well. Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. You know, looking at the yield curve today, we, we garner a lot of information. If you look at a one-week chart of two-year note yields, we're kind of covering the same areas, holding. But the short end's mostly glued with the Fed on pause. If you go out to the long end, 10-year note yields right now are uh, up four basis points, double what twos are. So we're getting a little curve steepening, as you see. But it really is. The short end doesn't move much, and the curve moves up by the long end. So we're back over 20 on 10s minus 2s, volatility does stand along. And remember, today is settlement day for last week's 3s, 10s, and 30s, 78 billion. But I wouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about it. The Fed certainly seems to have dumped a big enough pile of cash to alleviate any concerns for the turn year end. And if you look at some of those liquidity operations that were really earmarked just for the turn, some of the multi-day, multi-week repo operations, it's in the zip code of a half a trillion dollars. So the market satisfied many of the spreads we watch on the very short end that give us a glimpse of demand and financing certainly seems uh, seem to be taking a relief breath right now. One week of boons uh, and, and a longer term chart of 10 shows, you know, 10 stop in the 190s. Boon deals tested minus 22 intraday last week. That was the highest close, if you recall, in November. And that close in November comp to July. So we continue to test resistance with higher yields or even less negative yields. If you look at Europe, can't get the kick to follow through. Finally, one thing that has been following through the dollar index, hovering at the lowest level since July. We're not far, two-thirds of a cent away from where we settled at the end of last year. Carl David, Jim, back to you. Big story, too, Rick. Thank you. Rick Santelli. Still to come this morning, 26...
2016 presidential candidate, former HBCO Carly Fiorina, on everything from the tech landscape to the race for the White House. Uh, Boeing at this point about a 70 point drag uh, as we see the Dow up 167 and we're at 3192. Not many components in the red on the Dow, Boeing and now McDonald's. You can see the only ones as uh, U.S. PMIs for December come in mostly in line. Dow's up 170. We'll get stopped trading with Jim in a moment. Time for Jim and stop trading. Okay, tomorrow Eli Lilly has an incredibly important meeting where they're going to give you 2020 guidance. I predict that their guidance is going to be well above what people are thinking about because the company is so well run. Can you buy it up a dollar? Uh, you know, I wish they were kind of stealing from the upside. But, you know, this is a, com- this is a great American company, and they will, su- they will surprise you with good things. Yeah, Pharma's done well. I saw today Golden Cross on S&P Biotech lately. Uh, I think thanks yeah. to Bespoke for that. Yeah, I think that, well, you know what? This is Elizabeth Warren backing away or lower in the polls or whatever you think. But Elizabeth Warren was the one that kept the P.E. She was a P.E. destroyer. And now that she seems to move on to other things, I got to tell you, you want to own this group. How about tonight? Uh, Livongo, which is a company, this is a healthcare company that saves the system money. And then an unsung hero, Doug Peterson, as he goes into the Cowboys game. Oh, I'm sorry. Doug Peterson from the S&P. Take a look at that performance. It's been it's been unbelievable. Why? Because Doug keeps expanding the number of indices. A personal hero of mine, just in terms of how he is very quietly doing everything. Right. All right, Jim. The only time he ever talks is on my show. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.